I'm going to be uh, sharing from Matthew 24, and uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to let Shane give you a little intro as to what this sounds like from Matthew 24 from the Bible stick. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away, and betray one another, and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. That's good. That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? All of the New Testament is like that. It's dramatized. And uh, we have the opportunity as families to put that in the hand. 13, and if you want to turn there, I want to use more of the verses than what was just played. Here's some of my notes from the opening. Who would have thought this time last week that another hurricane would be coming? Worse than Harvey. But here's some of the thoughts that was in my early points, that if we thought that Houston had issues, look at Beaumont, Texas. You remember me mentioning that? That their entire city water system was knocked out by the two pumps that was flooded. And they had to, I don't know if I even mentioned, thinking about Colton, that uh, they had to evacuate everybody out of the hospital, the, the mental ward, all the way down to the neonatal intensive care. And they showed this couple watching their, their neonatal care baby put into a special container and put on a special jet to be flown to another city, but they couldn't go on the jet with them. And I just thought about how difficult was that to endure. Um, we also talked about the normal response to a crisis or crises. Uh, I mentioned that pres- the President Trump had declared September the 3rd as the National Day of Prayer for Harvey and for Governor Abbott doing the same thing. And how about a National Day of Prayer for Florida, especially today? Uh, I, t- I mentioned some bullet points that we got from the Simmons of God office for Harvey. Here, here were three of them. Ask God to minister peace to those who are displaced and have lost everything. Now we know that's a, not just a prayer for Texas In Louisiana, that's a prayer for Florida. Here's a second one. Petition God on behalf of those rescuing the distressed. Pray for their safety. And the third one is pray for the churches in those affected areas, that they would be a clear picture of the love of Christ in those who are in urgent need. I also mentioned about Samaritan's Purse, Convoy of Hope, Red Cross, places you can easily go online and give a donation. Very easy to do that. But today, uh, as far as I know, Hurricane Irma is making landfall in Florida. I haven't seen any of the news 
this morning. I, I think I've seen enough that uh, I, didn't want to, I didn't want that in my mind, but I, I believe it is coming ashore today. And it's recorded as the most powerful storm on record to come out of the Atlantic. Now, the typhoons in the Pacific have been greater than this, but this is supposedly, and this is not hyperbole, it is like a Category 5 for a long time. And I received a note from uh, Brother Drawn about Harvey and make sure you tell people to pray. And, and, and this is what I said to him. I said, it looks like Harvey will make our 2011 tornadoes look like a mosquito bite. And it could be that Irma is going to make Harvey look like a junior hurricane because it's going to engage the entire peninsula. Um, it's good to have Rodney White here. He, this is his home church. Uh, he grew up in this church, but he's one of the Florida evacuees. Good to see you, Rodney. Welcome back. Glad that you made it. It wasn't an easy drive probably coming up with everybody else trying to get on the highways. Um, the situation in Texas was serious, but this is something we've never seen before that, that is just coming up through the peninsula of Florida. And I really don't know how much damage, maybe somebody else knows that, has seen that in the Caribbean and all of the islands that were hit. Millions evacuating out of Florida. The highways were not, I told Brenda, I said they did not make the turnpike, the interstates and highways for millions of people to get on it at the same time. And that's exactly what happened. South Carolina and Georgia have declared state of emergencies and even we may get some of the spinoff. Okay, what's going on? You've probably seen people on Facebook posts and prophecy and fires everywhere and what all is going on and is this the end of the world? Kind of like that's the underlying question. But let me ask you this. Do you remember the blood moons from not that far back? Um, to me, I, I thought that whole idea was uh, very weak on scriptural application and then we had the solar eclipse, and wow, what some of the stuff that was out there with that solar eclipse, that uh, it was a sign of the end of the world. Uh, and I really thought that was a misuse of Scripture from what I could read from it. Yet, listen, Scripture is the only thing that's going to navigate us through a crisis and through times of uncertainty. And this is where we're going to go. We're just going to go to Scripture. We're not going to come to conclusions. We're just going to go to Scripture because I tell you what, we are engulfed in uncertainty. Uncertainty is, there's so many angles of uncertainty that's around us. And we're going to have to go back to Scripture. Let me take you back to what was read. If you've got your Bibles open where you can read it with me. Uh, this, what Jesus starts saying in in um, verse 4, is in response to the apostles being overwhelmed by uncertainty. He had said one thing about the destruction of the temple and the city, about no stones going to be left upon another, and, and this threw them into a little bit of a panic time by what they asked him, Lord, uh, when's this going to happen? Uh, when are you going to come back? What's going to be the sign of the end, the end of the world? These were questions they were asking after he made that statement. So the uncertainty was all around them. And Jesus begins to answer their questions. Threefold question. He said, watch out, first of all, that no one deceives you. That ought to be our first warning. Is be careful what you latch on to and believe. 
Continually go back to the word. For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Now that seems like that would be a tall order. You've got stuff going all around you, but don't let that alarm you. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. You ought to underline verse 8. This is a theme we're going to come back to later on. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted, to be put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now this, I'm not going to try to do an exhaustive, not even close to an in-depth study on Matthew 24, but it's one of my favorite chapters that, that I loved reading it, I, I loved studying it, and I don't think anybody has an ironclad time frame by all which all this happens. But let's conclude the obvious here. We heard it earlier on audio, we just read it. Here's the obvious. There's going to be wars and rumors of war. There's going to be wars and threat of wars. There's going to be fear permeating the culture of that time. And Jesus tells the disciples, don't give in to it. And then he says there's going to be famines. And then he says there's going to be earthquakes. Some of you that were here on a Wednesday night, it was, I made a statement about the solar eclipse. I, I, try, I have, one, one of my weaknesses is I have a tendency to sarcasm. So... I'm trying, I always try not to do that while I'm preaching. But every now and then it might slip in a little bit. But I made a statement that solar eclipse is not in the list that Jesus gives. But earthquakes are. And he doesn't say hurricanes, but he says famines which result from unusual weather patterns. That's what happens in famines. People used to produce food. All of a sudden, there's, there's a drought and there's a shortage of food causing a famine. But I want you to stop and look at this word with me, earthquakes, for a moment. I'm, I want to give you some boring data. Okay, no, it's not going to be anything but boring. But here's three graphics I want to show you. And uh, if you'll go ahead and pull the first one up, Shane. This is the ten most powerful Earthquakes on record. The ten most powerful earthquakes on record. Let me uh, get my laser pointer out here. Because I love to use the laser pointer. See? It's my time to play in church. See? All right, these are the ten most powerful earthquakes. Before we put the next graphic up, down here is a little bit misleading because this is chilly. And when we show the next graphic, three out of the ten worst earthquakes happen in this country. Uh, There's Alaska, there's uh, Indonesia, there's Japan, uh, Russia, 
I think this would, would be the one that happened in Russia, or maybe it's up here. But I want to show you the next graphic because it gives you the uh, degree of severity on the Richter scale. The 9.6 was one of these that happened in Chile. That was 57 years ago. 53 years ago was the one in Valdez, Alaska. And uh, some of you remember this. This is 2004 in Indonesia. You remember that? It created one of the worst tsunamis ever in history. Over 200,000 people lost their lives in that tsunami. Some places, and this is not hyperbole, this is research, the tsunami waves were as high as 90 feet. And we think a 10-foot water, a surge of water, is, it wiped out parts of India. A lot of the death was in India, Sri Lanka, Thailand, and, of course, Indonesia. And you go on down... And uh, you see the different ones in Chile, India, Alaska, 71 years ago was the other one. And so these are the, the 10 worst or most powerful earthquakes. Now, the graphic I'm going to give you is maybe something you're not aware of. Uh, do you have the, the website? Can you bring that up? On, this is, this is a, we'll go to that other slide. Uh, the, uh, the one I sent you, earthquake track. Is that it? Okay. Oh, yes. This, all right. It looked too much like the other one. This, if you wrote, scroll it down, I want people to see at the top of it, the other way. This right here tracks earthquakes that are 1.5 or greater. This is constantly updated, and it says in the last 24 hours, there's been 124 earthquakes. 860 in the past seven days, 3,000 in the past 30 days, and almost, well, 39,000, not quite 40,000 in the last year of earthquakes 1.5 or greater. They're constantly happening everywhere. In Idaho, if you look at the most recent, look at this. Look at the most recent. This is, uh, what, two hours ago, uh, northern Mariana Islands. Lincoln, Montana, two hours ago had a 3.1. Chiapas is probably, these are aftershocks from the the earthquake that happened there. Uh, Soda Springs, Idaho, three hours ago, 3.0. Down here, Soda Springs, four hours ago, 3.4. I don't think I want to live in Soda Springs, Idaho. (laughs) Like, how many have happened in the last four hours? There's 3.4, 3.7, 3.2, 3.4. Right here, but here's a graphic. You know, I, I, I really thought about, I knew there were more earthquakes going on, but this is one of the things that Jesus said would be a clear indicator. I don't, you can read Matthew 24 and kind of dismiss it, but why, did he, why didn't he say something else? Why did he say earthquakes? It's not like he's trying to tell us that underneath the subsurface of the earth, it, it's signaling that things are coming to a conclusion, which is another word for end, right? Now, here's what I want to show you in the United States as to these are 3.0 or greater in the U.S. in 2015, if I'm blocking someone. All right, here's the top five states in in 2015 and the number of earthquakes they had that's 3.0 or greater. You don't need me to point this, but I like pointing it, okay? 
Um, what, what surprises you with this list? California is at the bottom, and what else surprises you? That right there surprises me. 888 in 2015. But look at the increase. There was a little drop off here. But look at the increase between these two years. It goes from 34 and 12 to 103 and 13, 585 and 14, and 888 and 15. I don't know the statistics for 16. The, the site I went to only went through 15. When you think of increased activity, seismic activity, as an indicator, and you look at Matthew 24, it's hard not to draw, connect those dots. That, that we're not just, like, this is not just by chance it's happening. It's chronicled from, like, the 9th and 10th century where there was hardly any major, major earthquakes. And now there, there's, there's one that happened in Mexico, in Chiapas. Hardly anybody knows that because we got hurricanes hitting us. But it was 8.1 on the Richter scale. It's the strongest earthquake that's hit Mexico in 100 years. And it's, it doesn't even make the news. It, it makes it, but it's like, it's like a second thought. And when you look at this, and you look at the natural disasters that's going on, like, look at the hurricanes. And there's another one out in the Atlantic. They don't believe it's going to come ashore. There's one that was in uh, the Gulf that kind of moved into Mexico. But just track with me a little bit. There's going to be, according to Jesus, there's going to be changes in natural disasters and in intensifying of natural disasters. And he uses that word, he himself uses the word that this is the beginning of birth pains. An interesting term to use as a result of these upheavals. Not only in natural disasters, but Mark says in his account, Mark 13 records the same uh, discussion that Jesus had with the apostles that Matthew records in in chapter 24. And Mark includes that there's going to be family upheaval, that fathers are going to turn against children, children are going to turn against their fathers, there's going to be upheaval in the order of families. There's going to be upheaval in world order, wars and rumors of war. We have heard so much about North Korea, I think sometimes we're just kind of getting used to it. But you and I should never get used to that. That is a dangerous situation. You know, and, and I said something like Wednesday night. I, I said, you know, I, I do pray for that North Korean leader. I pray that Jesus would reveal himself to him. He needs Jesus. And, the, and the, like the day after I saw this, I saw this question put on Twitter, is it proper for us to pray for this guy's salvation? Or is he worthy to be prayed for? I said, well, and, and I was really pleased with the response where everybody pretty much was saying, nobody's worthy. And we all need, we're all sinners. And I'm just like, how neat would it be for that guy to get saved? It, it would really help us out. But it would really help him. Because obviously he's got enormous problems in his life. And I'm, I'm praying for him. I'm glad to hear somebody else suggest that we need to pray for, 
people to have an encounter with Jesus. Uh, the security, I, I noticed Saturday in, in our getting to the stadium, the increased security and probably only the people who are in the more the intelligence side of Homeland Security understands why they change so many things, why, they, why there's less traffic in some streets, and there's, there's obviously, there's a, you know, when, when we get there early as workers, you can, you can see the snipers that are carrying their, their bags of weapons to certain locations in the stadium. There's eyes all over the stadium. There's cameras everywhere. And there's all kinds of homeland security, highway patrol, uh, the sheriff's department, the campus police, the city police. Everybody you can think of in law enforcement is at that stadium during that time because there's 100,000 people there, and it is a prime target for somebody to do something. It lets us know that we're living in a day of disorder and chaos and uncertainty. And we, we, we don't even get to the Scripture part of Matthew 24, where Jesus says, and the abomination of desolation, the abomination that causes desolation is spoken about Daniel the prophet. We, it, that's a whole different study about the Antichrist declaring himself God in the temple, taking over temple worship. And I said, that's a whole different study. But this is all part of the narrative. Jesus is telling them that these things are going to happen. Don't let them create fear in your life. And it's exactly what we need to tell each other. We should not do things out of fear. We should walk by faith and not fear. And, it's, and we can do that if you read on down to a section of Scripture I'm going to give you right here. Mark 13. I'm going to go to Mark's account. Matthew and Mark records this same metaphor that, that Jesus uses about their readiness and their preparation. And he uses this something that they would know very well is a true indicator of what to expect. He uses, in verse 28, the fig tree. And I have a real love for fig trees. He said, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. Isn't it interesting? In in a conversation that he's talking about upheaval worldwide, that's associated with the end of time. The teleos, that's the, the conclusion of all things. And he pulls out this as an illustration. Learn the lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know summer is near. You can tell the season by how that fig tree responds. Even so, when you see these things happen... You know that it is near right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This is the invincible truth that he's talking about. That heaven and earth will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. But it won't pass away because of climate change. And it won't pass away because of nuclear war. No, it's going to pass away when God decides to remodel his creation. Just like you see people remodeling houses on television. Looks great, doesn't it? Everybody thinks they can do that. Everybody can't do that. 
You know, just tear it down, rebuild it, you know, just do all kind of beautiful things. Well, Jesus said heaven and earth, heavens as we know, the atmosphere and the heavens itself, the Hashemim, that, that, it, that is in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God cre- created the Hashemim, the Ha'eretz. The heavens, all of the things above us, the layers and layers of the atmosphere into the furthermost part of the universe. He created all of that. And then it says, they will all pass away. It will all be undone. They'll all be extinguished. It'll be no more. I want to take you. I didn't print this out, but I'm going to take you to Revelation. And I want you to look at verse or chapter 21. If you have your Bible or or your Bible app handy. I want to take you through some things here. Because he said this. I want to take you to that point where he says this is beginning of birth pains. Why did he use that? That phrase, why did he use that as an illustration? Birth pains, labor pains. Uh, You know, Brenda was like clockwork with Kelly. With with Jason, it was was not like what we told. But she started having labor pains. We started, you know, tracking them in the uh, three minutes, two and a half minutes, and then the way we need to head on. But he says labor pains get more intense as it gets closer to birth. And he says, this is, this is kind of like the labor pains of creation. Well, Paul gives us that kind of backdrop when he's writing to the Romans and he's talking about our, our longing for the, the redemption of our bodies, not just our souls, our longing to be remade in the image of Jesus. And I'm going to start reading from verse 18. Hold on to uh, Revelation 21. I'm going to come there after I read this. This is what Paul wrote to the Romans. He says, I consider our present suffering not worthy, worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, for us to have our redemptive work finished. That is, our, the redemption of our bodies to be made into the likeness of Christ's body that he has right now. For the creation was subject to frustration... Our creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That the material world has some sense of longing to come out of what's wrong with it. You know, for lack of a better way of putting it. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. Isn't that interesting that it lines up with what Jesus said about natural disasters and things that are happening in the end, near the end. This is not, he didn't say it's the end. He says these are indicators of it might not be very far away. He says the whole creation groans as in pains of childbirth right up to the the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, i.e. the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it Patiently, that's the theme that Jesus has given the apostles. Don't panic. This is childbirth. This is pain. This, this, is, 
This is uncomfortable. What you see, what you're going to experience is going to be uncomfortable to you. But it's part of God bringing us to a place of total redemption. This is the theme of our testimony book, Hope Beyond Brokenness. That there's hope in Jesus. But Paul qualifies hope here. He says, who hopes for what they already have? Nobody does that. You already have it. You don't need to hope or expect it. It's there. But hope that is seen is not really hope at all. Hope is, listen, hope is so connected. I'm going to give you five points here in just a moment as to what should we do. What should we do in light of Harvey, Irma, Jose, whatever hurricanes are coming, whatever weather we're going to have in the, in the next few days, how do, we, how do we approach the uncertainties of things? Faith, hope, and love, these three remains, right? The greatest of these is love. But you cannot separate faith, hope, and love. They are so intertwined. Hope has to be connected to faith. So what are we building our hope on? Where's the source of our hope? We could say, well, it has to be our faith. When Jesus declared, listen, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That has to be the source of our hope. That our hope is in his unchanging world. I don't think we ought to ignore what's going on and make light of what's going on. But neither do I think we ought to jump immediately to prophetic conclusions about what's happening. Here's the five things I want to give you that I believe we ought to jot down and approach daily so that we don't get pulled into the uncertainty of things around us. doesn't mean that we're going to have answers. It means that in the midst of that, we're going to have a stable calm to our lives. Here's the first one. We ought to be students of the word and not students of the news. Be students of the word. For every hour you watch television, you ought to read two hours of Bible. How about that? How about for every hour of television, you read like five minutes of Bible? Maybe that's more doable. I don't know. I'm sorry. That sarcasm just comes out here now and then. But we ought to be students of the word. We ought to know the word. You know, regrettably, when I was a kid growing up, I knew everything about the New York Yankees. Everything. I could almost tell you the entire starting lineup to the New York Yankees. You know, it was like Elson Howard, catcher, Moose Skyron, Bill Skyron, uh, Bobby Richardson at second base, Tony Kubek. You know, that's sad when you can do that. Cleet Boyer at third base, you know. Yogi Bear. It's just like, why did I make such a study of baseball? Because I was a kid that didn't have anything else to do, I guess. But isn't it interesting how we can become so much experts on everything but this book? And this is the one thing that will outlast everything else. This is what he's saying. So this has got to be students of the book that he might as well say, Heaven and earth will pass away, but every word that we have ordained for you to hear will never pass away, including this book. Here's the second thing. We need to trust in the plan of God. We need to put more confidence. We need to look at our lives in the prism, through the prism of God's plan. What is God's plan for me? And if I'm not sure about that plan, I need to make that a high priority to say, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? 
That last song had a lot of that to do about confession and invitation to God to fill my own heart, my own mind. Here's the third thing. We ought to lean on the wisdom of God. That's like Proverbs 3, 5, one of my favorite verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's bullet two. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. And the opposite of that is what? Lean on God's wisdom. Don't lean on your wisdom. Lean on God's wisdom. Number four is this. Keep our hearts tuned to the words of Jesus. Now, that's, well, that's kind of like a student of the word. I want to tell you something. The Lord wants to talk to you directly. He talks to you here, but he talks to you through prayer. He will give you indications, and he will, he will get through. If we are open to him talking to us, he will help you with making decisions in life. He will give you uh, an unsettledness about a decision that you're about to make. And you say, well, I don't have peace about that. Many times that's the way he, he is talking to you. Don't do that. Don't sign that contract. Don't, don't buy that. Don't, don't step in, into that uh, place. And, and he's, he warns us sometimes. Make sure you're trying your best to hear what Jesus is saying to you. And the best way to find that out is to have some secluded time alone with him so all the distractions are, are, you know, not interfering with him talking to you. And here's the last one. Look at everything that's happening around you through his prism of truth because his truth never changes. The invincible truth was the title of this message. I didn't give it at the start. I'm giving it at the end because he said his words are invincible. That's what he said. Everything else, everything material is going to be dissolved. Now, let me quickly mention Revelation 21 and then if the praise team can come on up. What's going to happen? He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. Isn't that what the Lord says? Heaven and earth will Pass away. The first heaven and first earth was passed away. There's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now is the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the older, the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. Look at everything around you that is happening, not through ideas of climate change and CO2 and all of that, but look at what's happening through the prism of his truth because these things are going to happen. And they're indicators. You know, if you'll stand with me, I, uh, can I ask you a question before anyone leaves? Would it surprise you if Jesus came today? 
well, I was, I was planning on eating that burrito. Next thing I know, I'm flying through the air. I think if we're really honest, it would be a pleasant shock that it's happening now. Because I think we've gotten so used to life and so used to planning that whether or not these things are indicators of the end near us, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. But we are, here's what we all do. Every day we ought to take those five actions and say, until he does, this is the way I'm going to live. It's not dismissing the, the moment or the truth that he could come today, but I just think we live our lives in such a way we, we don't think about that. And we might think about it, but we're, I think we'd all be absolutely shocked if in the next 10 seconds we was flying through the ceiling of this church. Like, hey, th- how cool is this? Yeah, I'm sure that's what we'd say. How, co- how, how cool is this? Hey, you was just talking about that, Pastor. But I think that that's how remote it really is to us. And it shouldn't be. And I think it stays close to us. Could we do the second song? I'm, I might have had build my the, the God I look to you could we do that hey how about us praying for people in Florida how about us just coming to the front and praying for our our nation and for people to wake up there's 37,000 students over this campus a lot of them need a wake up call let's pray for them let's pray Let's just pray for our families. Could we do that? Nobody's declared, as far as I know, today a national day of prayer, but I'm declaring it in the house.